When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the wheelhouse. You can see the confidence build day by day, and there is an electricity to his personality on the field that's really hard to look away from. Starring Jerry Depoto. And Jerry Depoto to the plate with the 2-2 pitch to Alex. Swing and a miss. He struck him out on the fastball. With Aaron Goldsmith. And now chapter three is, yeah, he's a real ball player. He's an impactful player. He can do a ton for your team. And this is a guy that can really help to solidify a big league lineup. And Gary Hill Jr. He seems along those lines where he wants to be great and does everything possible to go get it. It's time for the wheelhouse. Here's Aaron. Welcome once again to the wheelhouse podcast. This is our final wheelhouse on Rude sports. Remember you can find the full version of this conversation. Gary, where is that again? Anywhere you get your podcast. That's right. There he is. <laughs> our great friend, Gary Hill along for the ride as always. And uh, joined by Jerry Depoto. Jerry, it's been a long time. How are you, man? I'm doing well. I, I mean, I'm doing even better now. Having seen Gary's face as he illuminated by Liverpool. Oh, he loves he loves saying it. that, don't you, Gary? You want to yeah, say it again? Yeah, it's it's the best thing I say. Yeah, we have like a real like um, like Malone Stockton to Malone thing going on when I dish it off to Gary to throw it down for the wherever you find your podcast. Is that fair, Gary? Yeah, I'm Malone. Yeah, you're Malone. I mean, nice. I'm I'm giving it Sharp up. I don't, I don't think Malone time. ever passed to Stockton. I don't think that's how that relationship works. I would prefer Peyton <laughs> Kemp to be honest. If we were gonna. Right. Go it's a good point. Fair forward. enough. Fair okay. enough. We'll do this again in three, two, one. All right. <laughs> in any event, uh, Jerry, it's been it's great to be with you again. Man, a lot has happened on the field, off the field since our last wheelhouse. Uh, first of all, the big news in town, Jerry, the All-Star Game is coming in 2023. This is thrilling news, and I'm sure as a baseball geek that you are, you must be on top of the moon about this. I really am. You know, the, I remember even back in the 70s watching the all-star game as a kid growing up and what it has turned into or how the game has evolved or re even the week has evolved has turned into something really special with all of the events around the the all-star game itself and i think that's going to expand even further by the time we we get to 2023 if for no other reason then we're going to watch the major league baseball draft evolve you know and, and that's going to be a little bit more of a of a fan event than it ever has been before we saw it this past year in denver and we're going to see it start to to really i think you know, get some legs with with live fan engagement, especially in the post-pandemic world. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's I, I know once we get to the third round of the draft, there's not a lot of names that, that people have heard of, but that will change, my friend. That really? will change. OK, I mean, the the Midsummer Classic is the undisputed king of all star games. As you have watched this game your, your whole life, what is it about the all star game that resonates the most with you as just a baseball fan? You get to see the best players in the world on the field at the same time. And you know, the, the outcome of the game, 
used to matter to me more as a, a young fan than it does to me now. Now it's about seeing the skills play yeah, and, and watching what these guys can do when, when they're not inhibited by trying to do the right thing, get the runner over, do the things that, that allow for you to win a baseball game. It's just straight backyard baseball, swing hard, throw hard, do fun things. And, and there is some type of appeal to watching the most skilled up players in, in baseball do those things on the field every day you're a pitcher but are you into the home run derby i am yeah <laughs> i was as a pitcher as well <laughs> if being fair you know the the home run derby is fun and uh, having seen a home run derby live it's it's amazing how into it you can get when you when you're cheering and the balls are flying all over the place and and uh you know our venue should be so much fun because there are a lot of different targets it's all about the targets That's right. you know you know we've got the cantina we've got the pen we've got the, the windows out on the hit it here cafe we, you know there are a number of different targets that, that we can shoot at, even the upper deck, which is rare air that very few of us can reach. <laughs> and, uh, you know, that makes the, the, the experience so much more enjoyable. And I didn't see the, the home run derby of 2001 when the game was last year, but it, with so much power in the game today and so many targets to hit in our ballpark, I think that'll be fun too. Well, the, Gary, the, the lefty... The lefty swing in mm -hmm. our ballpark between the windows and the upper, upper deck in right field. That, I mean, I think Jerry brings up a great point. I, I had not thought of that. The targets in the ballpark, but the windows and above, that's, I mean, that's the holy grail. Yeah, the, the windows above. And even, I think, a very underrated home run is when you get it into the Hit It Here Cafe, the open portion of the restaurant, more yeah. towards right center field, which is, you have to destroy a ball to get there. It's a very underrated home run to me. You know, I think, Jerry, I, this is, you bring up a great point here. I'm, I'm now even more excited than I was for the Derby, and I'm a big <laughs> Derby guy. I mean, the Derby is the Derby's a blast. phenomenal. Yeah. Somebody will hit the ball out of the ballpark oh, here. Oh, we got Whoa. a prediction yeah. a couple of years in advance. Yeah, don't know who that's going to be, but, you know, the left field, and, and we've seen people come close. You know, sure. we've seen Nelly come close in batting practice. Uh, we have seen guys like, say, Aaron Judge come close in, in real time. In real life. So, you know, I do think that that's something that's going to be a, a, a target that somebody will overcome a couple of years down the line. Perhaps Julio Rodriguez. You won't sleep a wink during the All-Star break between the Mariners hosting the game <laughs> and the draft. I mean, will there be a body double involved here for some uh, some uh, appearances, uh, a gala perhaps? Because I don't know how you're going to survive. I say me and my 29 brethren in other organizations decided this year that from now on, the month of July is just a, it's no sleep July for, for baseball operations employees everywhere. I, you know, with the draft landing in this space, I do think that moving forward, you know, that the, the July 2nd international free agents, and, and I don't know what will happen there around the potential for a worldwide draft, but it's likely to land in that same zone. We are talking about the trade deadline and now the all-star game all landing in this very small space. And, uh, no, it's it's why we do what we do. We love it, and you know I'll sleep some other time, I guess. <laughs> we should not forget about the futures game too in the mix with all of this, which is phenomenal. The futures game, as a baseball person, as a as a front office member, as a as a part of the scouting community, is maybe the coolest thing of all of the the different you know parts of the the week that is now the All Star 
event. And, uh, you know, I think with the, the, the top, the type of prospects that we have in our system, it's even more exciting to look forward to that 2023 game, imagining that we will have three players out on the field like we have these last couple of years. Uh, I think that's the max. Hopefully we can lobby them into a little bit more. But it's, again, seeing your best young players on the field with the best young players in baseball and in that age group is, is a pretty cool thing. Other news since we last spoke, uh, you and Scott's service have your contracts extended. Scott will be back. You will be back. You receive a promotion in the mix. You are uh, no longer just a lowly general manager, Jerry. You're a president of baseball operations for crying out loud. Congratulations in all seriousness. Uh, what does this mean for you going from the GM title to president of baseball ops? Uh, first, thanks. And uh, I, I don't know is the answer to that question. Uh, my job has not you haven't figured changed. it out yet? <laughs> uh, it, at least hasn't changed yet in, yeah. in a meaningful way. Uh, other than, you know, one of the things that, that has, has really started to evolve over these three years since we started this rebuild process is, you know, I... I have really come to rely on the people around me in a way that that I never would have considered when we started this is so many of our of our young managers and coordinators and 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 directors have grown in in ways that I wouldn't have expected so quickly and and as a result I do a lot less now so you know maybe it, it, like is the case when you get bigger titles you just do less <laughs> <laughs> that feels like a natural progression in a healthy organization. You can tell us, it feels like from the outside that the GM job has grown bigger and bigger and bigger as time has gone on. I think so. it definitely has. And and so much so that across the league now you see setups like ours where now you have a president of baseball operations and a more robust front office, uh, you know, oftentimes including a general manager or multiple assistant general managers. And as the heavy lifting uh, increases, and th- that is, there's a lot of different reasons why the, the, the game has become, you know, more of a heavy lifting, you know, type, I guess, endeavor. But as that has occurred, one thing that, that really becomes more and more prominent is the logic or the, the old adage that the, the best thing you can do when you achieve power is just give it away. And, and then you will find more. And you know, I, I think that's happening here. And, and we're seeing it with people like Justin Hollander and Tim Stanton, Scott Hunter and Frankie Thon and Brendan Damaraki and Andy McKay. And even what I would call, you know, our assistant directors that are really growing quickly, like Emmanuel Sefuentes and Frankie Polari, who, who Andrew Herrera, who are in the, the, the space growing at a rate that is shocking. And our front office is just as young as our team and just as young as our coaching staff. And, and that's a pretty special thing to be around every day. Two things that makes me think of one, Gary and I talk often about how we are excited for 10, 15, 20 years into the future to see how many people on this staff, this front office staff and baseball ops go on to become whatever it might be, right? A general manager with another team or a farm director or fill in the blank, because obviously there's a, a group of talent in the front office that is very impressive, but also we've talked about this before about how the role of a manager has changed and how more collaborative of a position that is. I mean, you think back to like like Sparky Anderson, right? I mean, I'm, I have a pretty good sense that it was kind of what Sparky was feeling that day 
is what happened. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Which is no slight to Sparky. That was the era, but it's a different era now. And Scott appears to be such a wonderful collaborator and the amount of synergy that's involved in the coach's room and with the analysts in the front office. But the same must be true for you in your chair as well. I think so. You know, and first I'll, I'll talk about Scott and his evolution as a manager. Having been a farm director, having worked in a front office scenario before, you know, before he became the manager of the Mariners, he learned a lot about the way you communicate and rely on the people around you, the way oftentimes as a farm director, you, the, the what's happening at a satellite affiliate is, is out of your hand and you have to trust people and communicate well. And, and I think Scott has, has gotten better and better at that with each year that we've been here, especially over the last two. And, and what happened last Last year during the, the COVID stoppage was incredibly valuable to the Mariners. The way we learned to communicate, what we were able to do with, with virtual meetings and, and the detail that we were able to go into on things like advanced scouting and, and baseball strategy and, and how educational that was for a really young staff and how valuable it was for Scott to get to know what the people were capable of. And, you know, the result in 2021 has been the most seamless communication we've ever had on a staff here. And again, like I talked about with our assistant directors, directors and leaders in the baseball ops group, how quickly they've grown. The same can be said of our coaches. You know, we, we've got a young coaching staff who very quickly became what I think is one of the best in the league. And, and the way Scott brings that together has been notable. We're going to change the order up just a little bit. Don't worry, Stump JD is not coming to the end still. We, we don't want to ruin you until the very end of the show because it just would, it would make things foggy the rest of the way. Uh, we're going to go straight to our listener question this week because uh, Ari chimes in, and I thought had a, a really good kind of broad-based question that was going to hit on a number of things that we wanted to talk to you about. Uh, he wants to know your biggest takeaways from this season, whether that be in player development in the minors, player development at the major league level as well, who has uh, shined, who has exceeded expectations, kind of a, a 30,000 foot view as to what has gone on uh, on growth for the team this year. How long is this show? <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, first I'll, I'll start with the major league club. You know, we we set out with the, the goal to, to get 1% better every day and, and just find a way to continually compound the interest. And, and I think we've achieved that. We wanted to play meaningful games in September. We've achieved that. Uh, we wanted to develop our young players. You know, some have developed at a quicker rate than others, but we've achieved our goal, which is to introduce these young players and get them opportunity. We wanted to lay the foundation for a championship that, core and and we feel like we're doing that i won't say that we've done that but we're doing that and at the minor league levels in a season that has been as challenging as any not named 2020 that i can ever remember experiencing most of what we wanted to achieve we've we've achieved and it's gone really well you know we've had a couple of small setbacks injuries or you know a very rare underperformer but across the board, from our top prospects to young players that, that really kind of came out of nowhere, uh, a guy that comes to mind is Cade Marlowe, who, you know, for all intents and purposes, you can't have a better season than he just had at, at the A-levels between Modesto and Everett. I think the only minor league player, uh, at last I looked, with 20-plus homers, 20-plus steals, 100 RBI, and, you know, counting stats, but there, there were notable counting stats. The way Matt Brash broke 
broke out. We've talked about him before. Uh, he's been phenomenal. In the more than you could have hoped, our first round pick this past this past draft was Harry Ford, who went out and absolutely destroyed the Arizona Summer League. And we would have anticipated him doing well, but not quite what he did, which was didn't strike out much, did walk a lot, and threw up a thousand plus OPS against players that are largely older than he is, and looked at every bit as athletic as we thought. Watching so many players in our system flourish in, in so many positive ways, it's, it's been really a joy watching this season. And, and I can't remember too many days this year where I haven't had a smile on my face because it's, it's gone really well. And I, I would love to win the World Series. It's probably not in the cards for us in 2021, but it is more realistic than it's ever been for us moving forward. And that was the goal. Your pitching core, starting pitching core in the minor leagues has been able to graduate levels and has, I'm guessing, done what you have wanted and more based on some, uh, not maybe surprise performers, but guys who have maybe cropped up that you weren't necessarily anticipating that type of performance. But when you talk about the starting pitching depth in your prospect system, how has that flourished over the course of the year? Quite well is the answer, and I, you know, I, I did mention Brash, you know, Brandon Williamson, who was the the first to make the move from Everett to Arkansas, and really came on with a rush, especially over the last month, had a terrific season and did all the things we could have hoped, especially the positive of taking the ball every fifth or sixth day and building an innings foundation that allows him, you know, a better starting point in 22. We watched the same progression for George Kirby. Uh, George went from an industry number of something around, you know, 80-ish on the prospect lists to the top 15 uh, on most lists. And that's a huge jump. He did it with flashing three pitches that are dynamic on their best day, a fastball that'll touch up to 102, uh, which is pretty awesome considering he throws it where he wants to and uh you know he's made a seamless transition to double a a really nice breakout season for levi stout who we saw in the fall last year and and had an advanced start on on what we thought he was going to be capable of but he's been terrific a little bit of a setback in terms of not being able to build the innings we were hoping to with emerson hancock but we saw the physical stuff and you know fingers crossed we've been able to get through it without the without any substantial injury, more trying to figure out how to build on what has been a a fatiguing transition for him from college and a missed season into pro ball. But across the board, what we're doing with our starting pitching, including a young staff in Seattle, has been uh, really all systems go. You can't really ask for any more than we've achieved with this group in this season. Along those lines, Logan Gilbert finishing strong here in September. Still has a couple starts to go, but how would you characterize Logan's season? You know, it, the, the first thing comes to mind, and the, this isn't normally something that I'm thinking about you know, every day, but I, I was just digging in on it the other day. I think Logan is, is now the first Mariners rookie to, to achieve a two-win season, F4, since Felix, which is, you know, it's been a while. And for, for Logan to do what he's done, strike out north of 10 per nine, he has been incredibly stingy with the walks for any pitcher, much less a 24-year-old making his major league debut. And I think just the third Mariners rookie in this century to, to register a two-win season, uh, the other being Joel Pinheiro, and, and, uh, and I believe in 2000. So it's, a, it's a, a pretty remarkable run for Logan. He's done it while he reshaped his slider 
at the major leagues, which is rough to do. We saw a huge step forward for him in both the usage and quality of his changeup, and roughly sitting in the mid to upper 90s in every outing we've seen. And to do that after missing an entire season of innings in 2020 is, again, I pinch myself. I, I, he has been terrific, and every bit of what we thought he could do, he's done. Does the velocity surprise you that it's continued to maintain at the level it has? We saw him 95 to probably 97 in his debut, and we see a lot of guys jacked in their debut for all the obvious reasons, but he touched 98 in his last start. He's been sitting, it feels like, 95 all year long. Is that what you expected, or is that a surprise that the velo has been as high as it has been? It has to be a surprise to hold the velocity at that level. You know, if you're holding 91, it's a it's a slightly different story than if you're holding 95 and touching 98. And you know, it's actually it's funny. Tammy, my wife, asked me when he was throwing his last outing against the Royals, and he threw a 98 mile an hour fastball, I believe, to Sal Perez in the first inning. And she said, she said, is that the hardest Logan throws? I said currently <laughs> and that's the answer to, to the question is it, it's only a surprise because of the height of the velocity it's not a surprise if you get to see what Logan does 12 months a year to put himself in position to do what he does his velocity has increased every year that we've had him uh, from the time he was drafted to where he is today it's increased from the start of this season to where he is right now and the work that he does in his offseason is really no one puts in more thought to, to, to how to prepare to sustain at, at any level than Logan does. And, and it, it gives me great hope that he's going to be able to sustain it for longer, although that velocity level is incredibly difficult to maintain. But who knows? He keeps getting better. Greatest catch you've ever seen a pitcher make in your entire life? Wow. Yes. <laughs> I'm not, not sure what the DePoto highlight reel looks like, but uh, that was... It's, it, it doesn't was look like that. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't look like that. Now, the, the roly-poly, yes. I have that in my game, oh, but catching the ball and then doing that, maybe not. <laughs> uh, it's, it, Logan w was quick in, in spring training when Pete Woodworth in 2020 introduced you know, the AFP program, which is athletic fielding practice. For years and years, we, the, the pitchers we called the, the defensive work PFP, you know, pitchers fielding practice, which was decidedly unexciting. And, <laughs> you know, and it was a bunch of little tappers, a comebacker. Maybe you throw one down the line, then you hit the first baseman in the chest, and we call it a day, we go have a sandwich. And, you know, Woody turned it into something much more enjoyable, AFP, he and Max Wiener, dating back to, to our minor league development days with this coaching group, you know, wanted to rebrand it. Uh, these are athletes. They're going out there and they're working on athletic things. And, and, and if you've not seen our morning AFP, our pitchers play positions. You know, we, we have footage of, of Logan Gilbert playing shortstop and, you know, and taking great pride in what they do and, and, and practicing and you've never seen a group enjoy practicing more than this group does and I, and as a result I would not have bet uh, back in 2019 you know or 18 that that Logan was going to make play like that but that's what he's done you know and, and I'd say between he and Chris Flex and Marco Gonzalez you know it really jumps out what our guys are doing defensively because that's not the way we looked in 2016 <laughs> and 17 I can tell you that well, the JT Chagua catch, Gary, you want to back me up on this? Is that the? It might not be the most challenging, but he's 
He owned it more than any other pitcher this yeah, year. Yeah. yeah. And Joe Smith had a great one, too. There's the, the Joe Smith, when, you go, when you're covering that type of ground, yeah. uh, and that As one a senior me, statesman? It's a senior or not. And Joe's a tremendous athlete. Uh, it, unless you've spent time around Joe, you probably don't appreciate just how athletic he is. But uh, to cover that kind of ground and, and make that play, is that's the one you'll remember 20 years from now. And when, you're, when all of the 900-some-odd games that you've pitched in in the big leagues are, are yesterday's news and you're sitting there with your grandchildren and you're telling them about the time you, you, you traversed the, you know, by then it'll be 150 feet to catch the, the pop-up. It's a, it's a big thing. I'll tell you, not to go down too deep of a rabbit hole here, but... We're there, man. We're I know. We're, there. That's the thing. <laughs> I'm, I'm, that's why I'm going all in. Tell me I'm wrong on this. You say Kikuchi is an incredible fielding pitcher. Like, he doesn't get many chances. Like, there aren't many times where balls get hit in his vicinity. But there's nobody who attacks. I can't believe I'm, I'm saying that. There's, there's no pitcher that attacks a ground ball with more conviction than you say. There's... And aggression, you know, it is. It's it's just yeah. A, he's I mean, aggressive he's in his it. style. He I does. Mean, I mean, he's really good. That former Mariner that that I had a chance to play with for for a, a period. Uh, former bullpen coach here, Mike Hampton, was like that. Yeah, you know, I mean Hampton, it was like a puma on the mound, ready to pounce. And and Yusei's got some of that in him. It's a, it's when Yusei catches the ball, even afterward, you know, when when it's time to throw the ball to first base, he looks very lively. You know, most guys they'll they're, in today's game, most guys will start running toward first base so they can flip it underhand and avoid the you know the embarrassment of a bad throw. You you say it's, I mean, he picks up the ball and it's on. He's and and our group thinks they can make any play. And I think it's by, because of the, the AFP practice. Now, see, I, I, as co-host of this program, we, we have the president of baseball operations for like 45 minutes every couple of weeks. I'm a little embarrassed that we just spent 10 minutes talking about pitchers fielding ground balls. But you must, this must be this the is, best 10 minutes of, of wheelhouse history I'm for you. I'm beaming. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's right. magic. Fair enough. Well, you know, it's teamwork, right? You know, I'm, I'm just trying to make you feel better before Stump JD. All right, so well, we've touched on Logan, uh, who has been everything essentially that we all thought he would be this year. We know the turbulence that has been in Kelnick's game at times this season, but he has put in together the best month of his young major league career. The surface level numbers are great. The underlying numbers are even better. What have you made of September for Kelnick? He's been phenomenal. And to this point, you know, when we're recording it, it's roughly 1,000 OPS for the month, which is decidedly different than what we'd seen, you know, up to this point. And I don't know why this is, but, you know, in 2020, 2021, transitioning rookies from AAA to the big leagues, or even in some cases from AA to the big leagues, has been incredibly difficult. You know, it's a, the gap has never been wider, to, and, and I don't know why that is. It's, I, I, I don't think it's a matter of the talent being so much greater at the big league level than, than at AAA. It's the same as it's always been. There, there might even be more good young AAA players than in most times. But it's been hard, and it hasn't just been hard for Jared or the Mariners. It's been hard in baseball in total uh, for in the non-Wander Franco category. <laughs> so, <laughs> There's always an outlier. Yeah, but you know, I, it, it, 
to see him start to get his traction. And, and if you go back and look, and, you know, it, very slowly in the month of August, you know, we've seen now if you date back to August, and it's going to be somewhat, you know, uh, driven by how good September's been for him. But since the 1st of August, I, I, Jared's been our second best hitter. I think he's got a 116 weighted runs created plus since the 1st of August, which only Ty France has, has bested. And, you know, he's very slowly started to, to show you the confidence and, and, and the execution that we really believed was inevitable for him. And, and here over these last three weeks, it's been, it's been getting decidedly louder. And that is what we expected, you know, it, it truly. It's, but it took a little bit longer. And that's what baseball does sometimes. It's just not a linear development. And, and his got a little bit wobbly and, you know, it, it tested his, I guess, resolve at times and never tested our belief. We always believed that we were going to get to this version of Jared Kelnick. And, and I hope it's here to stay because it's, these are the things he does. He's got an excellent swing. He's got a great focus. When he's swinging at strikes, you see it happen the way it's happening right now. And, and he can drive an offense when he's going good, as we've just seen. It's really interesting when you look at Kelnick's past three months, his swing strike rate has gone down each of the last three months. His hard hit rate has gone up each of the last three months. So although it didn't always reflect in the surface numbers, there were a lot of good things happening underneath the hood. Now, when you talk about hitters or evaluate hitters, what kind of things are you looking at underneath the surface? What's important? Well, you just hit on a lot of it. You know, the, the very first thing we look at, are they swinging at the right pitches? Because if they're swinging at the right pitches, everything else sort of takes care of itself. And, and as you alluded to, you know, Jared is swinging less. He's swinging at more strikes, you know, in, in theory. And the results have been louder. You know, he's hitting the ball harder. It, it, when you can box up what you want to swing at and really isolate, and I, and I think now you're starting to see it take even a, a greater form. Three months ago, you know, when Jared was, was locked in, he's swinging at balls that are on the plate. You know, now he's locked in. It's two and one. It's three and one. And he's taking the ball that's on the outside corner. He's waiting for the ball that's going to get into into his hot zone. Uh, that's how you 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 really click at this level. And that doesn't always show up in the numbers. That's something that you can see with with your eye. When and it's and it's in those cases. And I uh, over the weekend series with the the Royals in Kansas City, we did see JK in those situations, those 202131 counts. And before he was just hunting and looking to swing and if it was even close, he was letting it rip, you know, and he was always swinging like he knew it was going to be a fastball. And and most of the time it wasn't a fastball. Now he started to, to grasp that in those counts, they don't always throw you fastballs. And and if you're looking for that breaking ball, make sure the breaking ball's up. And if you're looking for that breaking ball up, let's try to make sure it's on the inner third of the plate and you can do the, the damage in those damage counts. And that's what he has been taught his whole life it's definitely what he's been taught in our system and it's what you're starting to see play out now that his really his heart rate's gone down he knows now that he can compete at this level and now he's starting to thrive Jerry I don't know how you describe what Julio Rodriguez did this year I'm between Olympic qualifiers the Olympics two different levels of minor league ball full season stateside 
an OPS of a thousand as a twenty-year-old. Uh, you tell me, what do you make of his season? The OPS of a thousand as a twenty-year-old. First of all, it's as regardless of where he was playing, whether the Olympics or in Everett or in Arkansas or in Major League Spring Training or in the in-between. He's always been one of the handful of youngest players at that level. Uh, I think while in Arkansas, the bulk of his time is the second youngest player in the AA Central. Uh, and this dates back to spring training with the M's. And that every stop, he OPS'd 1,000, which I think is phenomenal. <laughs> he, was, he did it in big league camp. He did it every stop in between. He did it as the youngest player on the Dominican you know, national team in the Olympics. And you know, he's, he's had a star-type season. And, and there's not much you can, you can add to the exclamation point for his year. And to do it at age 20 and to do it in the ballpark that he did it for the second half of the season as a right-handed hitter at Dickie Stevens in, in Little Rock is, is doing something. So, you know, glad he's on our side. I can't imagine just the shuffle that was – like the geographical shuffle that was this season for Julio. We mentioned the, the two stints with uh, Team DR for the, the qualifiers and the Olympics themselves. Then you have the promotion. I mean, that would be a lot to sink a, a lot of like grown men, let alone a 20-year-old. Maybe 20-year-old energy is what really helps fuel him here. But to me, that stands out is that even if he didn't post the numbers that he did, even just to you know, keep your head a little above water, given his youth, given all that he was all around the country, all over around the world, I mean, that's amazing. Truly is, and and you know we when we promoted him to to Arkansas, our hope was that he would go there, that he would find his footing, he'd have his little break for the Olympics, he'd come back, and and we would use this as as an opportunity to start building toward something greater. The something greater was kind of immediate, and you know it, it was he took off. I think in his second game there, hit an oppo homer and never looked back. And not an easy place to hit oppo homers as a righty, but you know he's just had a remarkable year. Uh, he is, you know, this is his 40-man protection year this this off season. You know, like in 2019 with Justin Dunn or Kyle Lewis, uh, Donnie Walton that year, these are the times where historically we've added that player in September uh, to get you know sneak peek at Julio and give him a little bit of a, a taste of it. But some of the new challenges with, with smaller rosters in September make that you know, less of a consideration now because you're, you're managing a much smaller group of players. And, and uh, you know, that being said, not sure you could do more to get us excited about you know, opening day 2022 in spring training, seeing where Julio can take it and, and fully believing that there, there will be a lot of podcast days where we're talking about you know, Julio's impact, not just you know, what's happening on the field in Arkansas or Tacoma, but what's happening in Seattle. What does this offseason look like before big league camp in the spring? Bettany's going to fly a lot of different places based on the, you know, the, the historic track. You know, he will, he's going to go to our HP camp down in Peoria. You know, our high-performance camp we developed in 2016 as an answer to traditional instructional league. 
So our, our top prospects, we don't ask them to go play an additional X number of plate appearances or throw X number of innings. We use it as an opportunity to build on education, language skills, what they're doing in the weight room, what they're doing at the dining table, and, you know, and, and build small skills, not necessarily worry about hitting the 3-0 breaking ball. So you know, that'll be Julio's five-week stretch at HP camp. And, and then my guess is he'll go home for the holidays. And if I have a, a, a horse in the game, I'd bet that he plays in, uh, in the Dominican Winter League for a bit before he, he shows up for, for spring training. And when he shows up, he'll be ready to roll because it's, a, it's going to be a, a fun spring to be Julio Rodriguez. And, and it's going to be fun for us to see where he lands in terms of roster placement to start next season. Since you kind of led us there, can, can he do something in spring training like next year that you say as a, I guess he'd be a 21-year-old at that point, he's ready for this? I mean, is that something that's in the cards for Julio Rodriguez? Sure. Yeah, I mean, it is, is the quick answer. And most of that is because of the foundation he laid this year. You know, he didn't go to double to A or go to the Olympics and survive it. He didn't go and have an interesting run for a 20-year-old. He went and blew the space up. And and in both cases, played like you know a man among boys, and and that there's a difference. You know, he didn't do something interesting for a good prospect. He went and, and made a loud statement that that really players who have all-star upside, you know, make. And you know, you you can't be afraid in those moments, especially as we enter spring training 2022. You can't be afraid to let a star happen if it looks like he's ready. And you know, we'll be open to that when we get there. Uh, some of that's going to be defined by what we do through the offseason uh, and and where we add. But I imagine that that we're not going to do anything to to block, you know, Julio's progression to the big leagues. It's when you get players like Jared, like Julio, you know, when, when it's their time, it's their time, you know, make the space and just, and, and then grin and bear it while they go through their, their turbulent times because everybody does. Uh, but that when it, when it gets loud, like it has in September for Jared and like we believe it will for Julio and others, it's, that's when it's fun. One name that we've kind of touched on here and there over the course of uh, the last two years on the podcast has been Andres Munoz, uh, who came over in the deal with the Padres that brought Ty France and, and so many others over as well. But he had Tommy John, was recovering. We obviously have not seen him. Uh, some Mariners fans probably have forgotten about him, but he breathes fire. He is uh, essentially back or close to being back from TJ. I know he threw in Arizona. Can you tell us what happened there and what the plan for the rest of the year is for Munoz? Sure. Uh, you know, and he's a, for he's always connected to two things. Andres is uh, one. He was one of the four players who we brought back, along with Ty France and and Taylor Trammell, the, in the trade we made with San Diego uh, last August 31st, and th- that's worked out quite well for us. Um, and Andres is the one player of the four that has yet to, to play at, at the major league level for the Mariners. But he did appear in his first game in a Mariners system down in the ACL this past week. And, you know, the fastball did not register under 100. So he was 100 and 101 for his inning, struck out all three hitters he faced, showed us a slider in the mid 80s uh, that, that, you know, we're trying to work with him on tightening up and throwing a little bit harder. Uh, 
sounds absurd, but it, you know, he's, <laughs> he, he, his his slider he has and can throw his slider harder, and we think it will really help that pitch develop. But you know, when I was down in Arizona when we were playing the Diamondbacks down there, you know, I, I spent uh, a couple days over at the complex. One of them I crossed over with Andres throwing his bullpen. Uh, it was the last of his bullpens before he got into pitching live in games, and and the other player that was there with him was Ken Giles and who's also oft forgotten because you know it was a rehab season for Ken who also breathes fire on the mound and and uh, the two of them together it was remarkable watching Giles work with Munoz and and it was almost like having an extra pitching coach there with him and and the whole time as I'm watching these guys I mean Giles is already thrown in the 90s off a mound and and looks every bit of what we thought he would be and and we just talked about where Andres was, who will now go out and pitch in some games in Tacoma and, and is making his progress back. But I thought, wow, with as many good things as happened in our bullpen in 2021 with a group of players who all come back for, for the 22 season, and then you add guys like Giles and Munoz, it's, that's a lot of fun. And, and you know, one thing I will say that in, in the world of witty, uh, Ken Giles, when Munoz finished throwing his bullpen, where, when the last pitch was, I believe, 100.7 miles an hour in a bullpen. Where it's hard to generate that type of, of excitement or adrenaline in a bullpen. But he, he, he was throwing 100, and Giles put his arm around Munoz and turned around. I was standing you know, just about as far away from Aaron uh, from them. And he turned around. He said, I'd like to introduce you to your new first-round draft pick, Andres Munoz. And, and then you thought about it. He's 22 years old. It's a, he's a very young man with a lot of career ahead of him, and, and we're excited to see him healthy. Well, congrats, Jerry. You just made two statements back-to-back. I have never heard back-to-back before. One is he never registered under 100 miles per hour, and we're trying to get him to throw harder. <laughs> I've never heard Sliders, that sliders. Yeah. <laughs> is, is there a sweet spot? Uh, generally speaking, in case by case, I really could be uh, different. Where you say your fastballs are this, we want your slider to be X miles an hour slower. I mean, is that is that a concrete in stone, or does it depend on what those two pitches look like for an individual pitcher? It, it depends on what what type of break you have, you know. And and Andres has an elite break to his slider, and you know his slider has ranged the gamut from the high 80s with a short tilt to the low 80s with, with what I would call longer horizontal break. And and all of them are, are very good. You know, we're trying to pick one that has a chance to be elite and repeatable. Uh, what, you know, if you use Johan Ramirez slider, which is also a dynamic slider as a reference point, Johan could throw five sliders in a game and all five of them are off the charts and none of the five look anything like the one before it it's a it's an ever-changing pitch which is unusual and makes it a little harder to repeat then you look at at what we saw in kansas city with logan gilbert you know when logan first got here we saw a longer horizontal break oftentimes a spiked slider that he was having a difficult time keeping on the plate or getting chases at because it was too visible out of his hand. Here in recent starts, as he winds up the season, we're seeing a tighter, sharper, harder slider that looks like a strike for longer. And as a result, he's getting more chase, more swing and miss. And it's been a far more effective pitch for him. You know, we'd like to see something like that develop for Andres. And and he's done it before. Now it's just a matter of focusing in on that one and sticking with the one that we think has the chance to be most impactful. 
Hey, we'll wrap up the show as we always do with Stump JD. And uh, this is a very straightforward, very topical question, I must say. Uh, we went all-star game themed here. Jerry, we're wanting you to tell us uh, which hitter in Major League history has the most career all-star game home runs. Who has the most all-star game home runs in history? Yeah, not in a single game, but Ooh. in their all-star game career. All-star Who game has career. Hit the most all-star game home runs. So I'm going to say that this player had to have played in the years where there were multiple all-star games. Uh, I'm going to go with Frank Robinson. That is incorrect. There's, I'm choosing between Frank Robinson, problem, Hank right? Aaron, yeah, Mickey Mantle, so, so Willie old, Mays. Yeah. And the thing, you know, the more I thought about this, because when Gary and I were talking about it, you, you think of all the sluggers, and there's more than you can count on two hands. But they're also facing the best The pitching. best pitchers, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, it's not exactly like a given, right, for even the best hitters, because really good pitching typically beats really good hitting. But you do have to go to a lot of all-star games, you think. So... Do you want to? Have you sunk? Do you want to? There's. I'll, I'll tell you this. This is surprising. I think it was surprising to me. I don't know what you think, Gary. The number is six, which I would have taken the over. I would have taken the over too. Well, if you think about it, the the, the guys who played in the most All Star games in history are gonna. There, it's you know twenty to twenty three All Star games. This you guy know, played in twenty four. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> 24 all so if you if you play a 24 game season and you hit six home runs that's a lot of home yeah, runs you're right. and then you consider these facing the best pitchers the best. in the world yeah. you might think that this hitter is maybe the best hitter of all time I, it's stan mutual <laughs> oh jerry uh, there's I, I knew there had to be a hook. how did this question get in just, what a shock uh yeah, it's amazing and what's more he had two more than the next closest which was teddy ball game wow yes Four for Teddy Ballgame in 18 All-Star games. Now, if you want to go ratios, most home runs to All-Star games played, uh, you would feel pretty good about Fred Lynn, four homers in nine All-Star Including games. the first Grand Slam in the history of the All-Star oh, game. Now, see, now that, if I had to ask you that, yeah. even more niche question, you would have been all over it. There's, just happened to see it. Atley Hammerker. Now I see why you bypassed my All-Star Yeah, yeah you, let's go. Gary's is impossible. You want a bonus one? You, bonus you, question? I'm all about bonuses. No <laughs> but this is a great question. Go for it. The player with the most career war, the best career war, that never made an all-star game. Wow. <laughs> the, uh, the depression that just fell over Jerry's face. Kirk Gibson. Oh, so close. Oh. It's right there. It's close. But you, fa you faced this guy, right, Gary? Yes. You and he never him. played in an all-star game. And never played in an all-star game. I, I faced I, him four times. No. Might not, might not stand out. Four times. Four times. Not that much. Did... Did he do anything to torment me in those? Yeah, just one for four. So just you're just your shape. standard one yeah. for four. Yeah, your standard one for four player from the '90s who Gibson, never played. By the way, was third for position players in, in total war. war. With ever, without there is a, 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 a nuance, and this is Kirk Gibson at his finest. Yes. Gibby in 1988, when he was the MVP of the mm -hmm. National League, was selected as a reserve for the for the All Star game. I'm not going Didn't as a reserve. Yeah. yeah. So it's uh, he would have had one on his docket. But yeah, I, I don't know who it is. Tony Phillips. Wow. 50.9 career war. Tony Never Phillips heard. was like this, this sneaky, under-the-radar, awesome on-base machine. Yeah. yeah. To the point where in my first 
second year as a general manager, uh, we had, and this is still, uh, they're at such time when multiple teams still had open workouts in, for, for free agent players in spring training. And, and by free agent players, I mean at your minor league complex, you might have a dozen players from the independent leagues, a couple of non-drafted college players that are out there for an open tryout. Well, we had one such open tryout at the time in, uh, in Tempe, and Tony Phillips showed up. He was 52 years old, <laughs> and, and uh, 52 or 53 years old, and was by far the best player on the field. It was, it was fun, and I'm watching him thinking, man, he's in better shape than most of the players on the field t t today. And, uh, and uh, as I understood it, he made his way through most of the teams in Arizona spring training and touched down at each of their camps, roughly insisting that, that he was better than anybody on their major league team. And he might have been right. Like he really wanted to play. Oh, yeah. He wanted to play again. And, and, and he was. He was in his young 50s. And, you know, like Julio Franco, he, he, he was – you know, he was really put together for a 50-something. He didn't look like this. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, uh, Tim Salmon, number two. So it goes Phil. Tim Salmon, Salmon. never played in an All-Star yeah, game. Yeah, I know. Wow. Eric Chavez is the other one that always surprises me. He's on that list, too. Those are shocking. Yeah. yeah. I mean, Tim Salmon had a lot of 30 oh, home run seasons. Yeah. Eric Chavez was about as good a two-way player in his generation as you could be with the, the, the glove and the power. Whew. You like the pitcher with the most career war that never made an all-star team. The pitcher, most career war, never made an all-star team. It's a really tough guess. Then, then I'm not going there. I don't want to embarrass myself. Tom Candiotti. Oh, there's, who is a wonderful – you guys know Candy. Have you ever done Diamondback games? I've, that, I've never met him. Wonderful guy uh, who had a terrific career. And he came up – you know, I came up with the Indians. And – when I was coming to the big leagues, Candy was uh, was one of the veteran players on the club and had, I, I believe, was shortly thereafter traded to Toronto, which started his journey uh, that landed him in, in uh, with the Dodgers, where I think he had his most notable run outside of the Indians. And in, in spring training, my roommate, uh, I had a roommate from the University of Texas, his name was Brian Johnson, catcher. Didn't play in the big leagues, but was a second-round pick out of college. You know, strapping guy. You know, he looked the part. He was a really good prospect in his time. And and Tom Candiotti is throwing his his bullpen. You know, at the knuckleball, and Brian's catching him. And the first knuckleball he throws him, and he signals it. You know, and the first knuckleball he throws him gets none of the glove, uh, and just got full cup. You know, and and you could hear it. You're you're waiting at the the the, the cages for your turn on the mound. And you could, I mean, it was, it was notable. It sounded like a Gary Hill Jr. clap. Yeah, that was good. <laughs> That's loud too. Oh, That's so that is, that is painful and enjoyable for us. <laughs> uh, Jerry, this has been great, man. We appreciate it as always. So uh, thanks for being with us. You got it. You guys do a great job. This is fun. I can't wait to do it again next year.